Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Welcome to episode number 125 of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are sponsored by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. I am one of your hosts, Cheryl Todd. And I'm the other guy, Dan Todd. We have a great show today. Our theme is Why I Carry. Indeed, Why I Carry. Why do you carry a gun? Those of us who do carry get asked this fairly often. It is a simple question, but the answers are complex, deep, and very personal. And the manner in which that question is posed is important to note. You see, all too often, the question is hurled as an accusation. It is a veiled indictment that there is something deeply wrong and broken in the character of the person who does carry or simply owns a firearm. Suppose the shoes were on different feet and those of us who value our personal protection and understand what it means to be our own immediate responders, and who bear the weight of the responsibility to train and teach. Suppose we were the ones asking, why don't you carry a gun? I'm sure that there are as many unique, individual, and deeply personal reasons and answers to that question. But it is noteworthy to realize how rarely that is ever asked. The difference truly does come down to the reason that either question would be asked. Are we curious or judgmental? I will speak for myself and say that I don't have any reason or right to make a judgment on my neighbor who, for whatever their reasons, chooses to not own and carry guns. I grew up being taught to keep my nose in my own business and the live and let live way of interacting with the world. I don't know that it ever occurred to me to be so prying as to ask such a question. And it is not in my mindset to impose my views and my values on others. By contrast, there are those who feel that Their way is the one and only right way. These people, the rights restrictors, thrive on sameness. They want the control to force everyone to fall in line with their ideas. They do not tolerate independent thought, and they will do anything to be sure that you and I heal and obey. These rights restrictors fear your freedom and mine. 
those of us who stand outside of their worldview by having the audacity to enjoy our God-given freedoms. They are unnerved by that independent spirit. And they will use any means necessary to muzzle us into silence and crush us under the thumb of tyranny and big government. One of their favorite tactics is using the court of public opinion. They love the mindless repetition of phrases like, everyone agrees, and common sense tells us, in order to shame us into feeling like outcasts. This is the predictable and worn-out playground of the rights restrictors. They know that if they can cause our neighbors to look distrustfully at us, those of us who love our freedoms and who exercise those freedoms, that they can change the culture of what is socially acceptable. From there, it is a short walk to impacting how people vote and what new laws are put into place with the intention of restricting the behaviors that they see as unseemly. All of this common sense agreeing begins to give power one person feels over their neighbor and allows them to have a say about what actual items their neighbor may or may not have permission to possess in the privacy of their own homes. And once that fully takes hold, freedom will be dead and gone. Today it is the evil firearm. Tomorrow who knows what it might be. But once the rights restrictors get people hooked on the drug of control over their neighbor, they will take more and more liberties with that feeling of ownership. And we have plenty of historical examples of the horror-filled pathway that leads down. So, when someone asks me the question, why I carry? The short answer is because I have people who are counting on me to be alive and well, and it is my responsibility to take my vitamins, stay healthy, and stay alive. Why I carry is also because I'm smart enough to know that when I fall into a pool of water, it is up to me to begin swimming. I don't simply jump in and expect a lifeguard to appear and do the swimming for me. And in the immediacy of a dangerous incident, the police cannot magically appear in time to save me. I must take the most appropriate actions to react to be my own immediate responder. And finally, why I carry is to offer an example to our children and our children's children of what it means to be patriots who value our constitutional and civil rights, and we exercise these rights unencumbered and as free American citizens who need no permission from anyone to do so. This and so much more is why I carry. Dan? Why I carry? 
Because it's scary when I don't carry. <laughs> nice. But I'm bump. Come on. That's a good one. All right. So uh, we have an amazing lineup of guests. It's a shorter lineup than usual. Uh, but I think that you're going to see why we've given so much time to the people that we brought on. Well, our first hour, we have Dr. William April, owner of April Rush Consulting. Dr. April is a licensed mental health professional with over 15 years experience and presently, presently maintains a private practice and con, consult, consultancy. We knew yes, that one was going to be. Get me, specializing <laughs> in post-traumatic <laughs> interventions and other disciplines. He recently gave a talk on violent acts and actors and is here to share a portion of that talk. Yeah. Um, one of our previous guests, uh, Kat Ainsworth, had heard him speak, and she mentioned that in her interview <coughs> and then followed up with me, and she's like, no, seriously, this guy has a lot uh, to teach us. So uh, we're excited. He's going to be basically our, our whole first hour. So Wow. In our second hour, we have uh, Keith Mark <coughs> Keith Robinson. Mark Keith Robinson is known for his I am the majority speech. A, con- a concert... Cheryl, you go ahead. A conservative, social, and political commentator. His main venue is social media, live video, written commentary, and memes, and a fearless, to-the-point message that supports patriotism, family values, and the Christian principles that support these ideas. And I told you not to put big words in my line. (laughs) Didn't I tell you that? I'm sorry. If it has over four letters, don't give it to me. Don't do it, right? Right. (laughs) And then we have Mike Russell. Who's that? Mike Russell, a good friend of ours, mm-hmm. the host of The Go Show. Mike is a passionate outdoorsman and fierce advocate for the conservation of wildlife for generations to come. Mike's welcoming approach to the outdoors works to encourage anyone of age to experience his own this I'm, outdoor man, playground. I, I got it. I got it. To experience <laughs> this outdoor playground in every state across the nation. Absolutely. Wow. And, you know, today happens to be our anniversary I of being in this station third anniversary what yeah and so where's the cake we would we should have had cake I was told there would be cake Mm. but uh it's (laughs) 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 (sighs) it's not too often I get a good belly laugh out of Ed but I I just got a belly laugh out of Ed um so yeah so it's interesting that he just happened Mike Russell just happened to land on this particular show because Seriously, if it weren't for him and his show here locally in Arizona, I don't think we'd be sitting here today because our first uh, time on the radio talking about issues and talking about firearms was on his show. Yeah, and Mike Russell taught me how to read. So there's. <laughs> so the lessons are continuing, I'm thinking, I'm maybe, hope so. hopefully. And I tell you, <laughs> I don't know what my deal is, but anyway. We do have a great show today. Oh, we do. And we also have our Responsibly Armed Citizen Report and Dan's Commandary. Mm. But he doesn't have to read. He just yes. thinks if it I up don't as have he to goes. Read, I can do okay. <laughs> That's right. awesome. All right. Well, we really do have a lot to get to. There's been some some big news happened this week and you know, I just don't know that we have a lot of time to touch on a lot of it, but there was another mass shooting. It was at some gaming convention, and I honestly have not had time to really dig into the details of it, but I'm feeling like the rights restrictors have a trifecta going here. It involved guns, it involved video games, and it appears to involve 
mental health. Now, we're all concerned about the mental health issue, but I think we, we personally, Dan and I, get concerned about how to deal with it and what how deeply can we go into people's medical history and just because someone's taken a, an antidepressant at some point in their life, does that make them unfit to own firearms? And it is a really, it's a scary uh, arena, but we can't stick our heads in the sand. We have to examine it. I'm thinking our Dr. William April might have a few thoughts on that particular piece of it. And uh, we also have another guest coming up in a few weeks that uh, is going to dig even deeper into that. But for right now, we need to run to commercial. So stick around. When we come back, we will be with Dr. William April. He is the owner of April Risk Consulting, talking about mental health, violent acts, and violent actors right after this. When you're working hard to beat debt, you've got to think of creative ways to get your income up. Here's an idea. Sell some stuff at auction. Start with locally owned and operated potofgoldestate.com. The owners, Dan and Cheryl Todd, have over 60 years of combined experience in selling antiques, collectibles, guns, coins, and jewelry. And over their many years in business, they've earned the trust of thousands of people just like you. Whether you're saving for a rainy day emergency fund or paying down debt, let potofgoldestate.com help you get the extra cash you need. Potofgoldestate.com will purchase your items outright, or you can consign them to their twice-a-month online auction. Pot of Gold's nationwide online auction is a great place to get top dollar for your collectibles. They specialize in everything from antiques, coins, high-end collectibles, to cars, boats, guns, and more. Get started today at potofgoldestate.com, or visit them off I-10 and Dysart Road in Historic Avondale for some live auction action. For more information, visit potofgoldestate.com. That's potofgoldestate.com. Hey ladies, Cheryl Todd here from azfirearms.com. Many of us ladies are taking the important step of becoming responsibly armed, but it can be an intimidating process. And with all the politics swirling, a first-time gun buyer, whether a guy or a lady, might feel uncertain about where to begin and who to trust. At azfirearms.com, we are a small, friendly, family-owned shop that specializes in first-time gun buyers. We are staffed with knowledgeable people who are ready to help answer all of your questions. My husband Dan and I pride ourselves on having a safe, no-pressure environment. Once you have decided on a purchase, azfirearms.com partners with professional firearms instructors who will train you to become a responsible, safe, prepared, and proficient gun owner. So ladies and gents, when you are looking for personalized service and a huge selection, come to azfirearms.com in Old Town Avondale off the I-10 and Dysart Road or visit us on the web at azfirearms.com. Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. Well, our first guest today, we're going to hold him for the in, the rest of this hour. Uh, he's got that much information to share with us and to teach us 
Um, it is Dr. William April. He is the owner of April Risk Consulting. Dr. April is a licensed mental health professional with over 15 years experience and presently maintains a private practice and consultancy specializing in post-traumatic interventions and other disciplines. He recently gave a talk on violent acts and actors and is here to share a portion of that talk with us. Welcome to the show, Dr. April. Well, thanks for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Absolutely. So the topic is a bit dark, I suppose, right? But we, we must be aware. We must look at these things and we must learn from past experience in order to keep ourselves and our children and our community safe, uh, safer in the future. Is that kind of how you go about looking at this? Well, yeah, I think you've got to start looking at ways of being safer, really, no matter what they are. Um, and one of the, I think, things that freezes people in a kind of apathy is the notion that, A, they don't know what to do, mm-hmm. meaning w- what's best to do and what's best to, to avoid. Mm-hmm. But second, it seems like an all-or-nothing lifestyle. Um, uh, and we've we got to work on getting people to think around um, cha- making changes around the edges, um, things that increase safety but that aren't necessarily uh, so spectacular mm-hmm. uh, or require so much commitment. Okay. I'm, I'm intrigued by that. So wh- what would you call an all-or-nothing lifestyle versus, you know, just sort of looking around? What are the, the differences? Give us some examples. Oh, well, sure. There, the, you know, if you look at the, the firearms uh, community, right, the, mm-hmm. the population of folks that are interested in self-protection and protection of people that they care about, uh, it's easy to see folks that are all in on the lifestyle, right? They own guns. They enjoy shooting. I mean, the shooting sports themselves are fun. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easy to forget that. Um, but you know that that it's not at all difficult to get advice from somebody who uh, wears a five eleven vest every day, and uh, the goal isn't to make people into um, the goal isn't to make people into members of the firearms community. The goal is to help people be safer. Yes. And I like to start really, really simple: uh, lock the front door. <laughs> um, well, there's you'd that. You'd be amazed. That in this day and age, there are people out there. Um, and let's start there. I don't know of anybody that would agree that you're safer with the front door open than you are with it locked. Yeah. Um, and when you when you start the discussion with changes that small, you get instant credibility um, because I think it, it's there, there's sort of an evangelism gone wrong aspect to the to the firearms community, which is we tend to say to people, here's what you need to do. And if they have any reservations at all, we just sort of wash our hands of them. Hmm. Uh, and that's not a that's not a good marketing ploy. Anything <laughs> else? Uh, yeah, yeah. And we wouldn't. We aren't very good evangelists in that way. Let me just say real quick that your phone is wanting to fade out and in. So um, you you're good and strong right now. So whatever tile on your on your floor you're standing on, <laughs> stay on that tile. Don't move. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I don't know what it is. But hopefully it'll improve. Yes. So so that is very wise to think that if we can just make some small incremental changes, we're not asking people to completely overhaul their life in order to be more aware and to practice safety, uh, which I think... Oh, no. Go ahead. The goal is increased safety. And and like all behavior change, you know, this is sort of where the mental health world and the, and the self-protection world overlap, all change uh, is incremental. 
big sweeping changes don't uh, don't well a they don't generally occur and b they don't generally last. Hmm. But incremental change, you know, that's something that we can work toward. I mean, once somebody's agreed to lock the front door, starting with things like, look at your car before you get in it. Oh, gosh, right. Are, are, are all the windows intact? Is there anyone hiding in your car? Yes. Is there anyone under your car? Yes. Um, and to start from those sorts of things that are very low impact and certainly low cost, uh, we can move people towards safety. Absolutely. And your phone's fading a little bit again. Um, I would think that, you know, all you have to do is watch a couple of these horror movies to <laughs> kind of get it in your mind. The whole uh, somebody hiding in the back seat thing. I, I think I heard that around a campfire when I was about 12. And I've, I've been a believer ever since <laughs> that I am checking all the areas of my car before I climb in. Well, but, you know, it, it is funny that, the, you know, what, what makes those horror movies so... Um, they're just sort of so attractive to so many viewers is the obvious silliness of the people in them. Yeah. Right? You know, walking, walking past the, the, you know, the, the darkened shadow, right? Walking past the thing that's obviously a threat. Meanwhile, in the audience, we get to feel so terribly smart because we see the problem and why don't they just? Mm. Well, a lot of us are a lot more like that in our daily lives than we'd like to think. Mm. Um, you know, a great, a great many of us are pretty doggone oblivious to risk as we as we go through the day um what we would hope wouldn't happen is that you have to be exploited you have to be victimized in order to see that you should pay attention to those risks um you know the uh, the old there's an old joke that a a smart person learns from the experiences uh, you know their experiences but a a genius learns from the experiences of others Mm -hmm. right so i don't so i don't have to suffer um in order to change no, absolutely. And uh, as you were saying that about how smart we get to be and how dumb the people in the movies, there's some Geico commercial or something where a bunch of kids are, you know, it looks like it's Halloween time and, and there's a running car with the lights on. And then there's like a scary garage with a bunch of like chainsaws hanging in it. And, and one person, you know, they're all like, let's go into the garage. And one person is like, could we just get in the running car? Could we just leave this exactly. area that's dangerous? You know, something that simple, uh, you know, is just to avoid, just to stay away from areas that are obvious or, or have a history for uh, being dangerous. But we also have to be aware that, you know, danger can live in our own houses sometimes, right? I mean, with the mask of, of parenthood on, right? Or the, the mask of of your brother on or your sister yeah. on. And so we, you know, I, go ahead. One of the lessons I always try and, and, and learn from is that there is no such thing as a categorically safe place or a categorically safe person, hmm. right? Um, plenty of times you can think you're in a place that is safe. Well, the, the circumstances change and you're not safe. Hmm. Um, you know, we think about uh, being safe when we're in our home, but there's nothing magic about crossing that threshold. Um, and when you think about home invasion robberies, they're some of the most dangerous kinds. Sure. Um, not incidentally, because people tend to relax when they get home and right. don't think that they need to be aware of risk. Right. Um, and, you know, crimes by known offenders are very, very common. Uh, the notion that this person wouldn't hurt me because I know them, mm. uh, that's, you know, that's, that's proven wrong every day. Absolutely. So we're talking basically about you know, how a bad guy or bad woman, because, you know, women are offenders as well. Women can be dangerous as well. 
um, how they actually select their victims. And so we're talking about it from the other side, saying how do we not be selected as a victim? But right. but how what are what's going on in their minds when they are on the prowl and they are looking for prey? Well, when, when I first started encountering um, violent offenders, it was as a sheriff's deputy working in a correctional setting. And uh, until that point, frankly, I, I had just assumed that um, most criminals were, were quite impulsive. Um, you know, that when they saw the opportunity for a crime, they just committed it almost without thought. A little bit like a dog. You know, if you if you throw a steak on the ground, a dog doesn't ponder what to do with it. <laughs> it snaps it up and eats it. Right. Well, it turns out that, that if you talk to uh, violent offenders, they'll they'll tell you all kinds of things if you listen. And okay. I was fascinated by uh, listening to their process of picking victims, but then unpicking. Hmm. That in, that they would the the process, and then we spent the next twenty years trying to figure it out, and now have a pretty good understanding of it. Is much more impressionistic than that. Um, They'll, what they do, they don't articulate terribly well, but, but looked at very closely, they're, they're forming an impressionistic judgment about the, someone's value as a victim, just the way you would form a judgment if you needed to make a decision about a group of strangers. Let's say, does anyone in this room have jumper cables? Uh, you wouldn't likely shout to the entire room. You'd scan the room and pick someone who just seemed likely. Mm-hmm. Now, Beforehand, you wouldn't be able to identify the qualities that would make someone stand out as a jumper cable owner. Mm-hmm. But we have this weird sense of looking at people and, and making that kind of global judgment. And we're right far more often than you'd think we would be. Well, bad guys are doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they look at people uh, and make an impressionistic judgment about would this person make a good yeah. victim, they probably couldn't make a list of those characteristics and tell you what they are in advance, but they know what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, and from that point on, once you've been identified as in the risk pool, they're looking for disqualifying factors. Is there something about you that says no? Hmm. Um, and if they, in the absence of those disqualifying factors, if they don't come across any, then they'll do what they do. Um, and most offenders have a pretty narrow repertoire. Um, so it's a matter of doing what they do well or just waiting. Uh, and the goal from our perspective is to be the person that inspires that little bit of doubt. Um, the the odds of any of us uh, frightening off a uh, street-level offender are pretty low. Okay. But all we have to do is look uh, like a less-than-suitable victim. That's all. Because the decisions have to be made very, very quickly and then either... Uh, Inaction is chosen or action is chosen. And all we want to do is slightly tilt the balance toward no. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it, it's much more efficient for an offender to pick only good victims. Mm-hmm. And a good victim is somebody who checks all of the yes boxes and none of the no boxes. Uh, is... So our goal is just to tilt that balance ever so slightly um, off of yes. That is awesome. Um, and that can be done w- with all kinds of things that seem really kind of trivial. Absolutely. Well, I want to dive into some of those right after the break. So if you can just sit tight with us for a little bit. We are with Dr. William April. He's the owner of April Risk Consulting. And we're talking about uh, it's, you know, it's not a real comfortable topic, but it's it's something we need to be aware of. And that is violent acts and violent actors. Stick around. 
Hey everybody, this is Joey Rocket Shoes Dylan, world champion gunslinger and Hollywood gun coach. In the Westerns, there's always a good guy and a bad guy, and sometimes the ugly guy. And I always root for the good guy, which is why I'm here to tell you about the good folks over at azfirearms.com. They are straight shooters and always give you the best deal in town. azfirearms.com is the biggest little gun shop in Arizona and have something for every single gun enthusiast. Long guns, pistols, hunting, military, law enforcement, home protection, you name it. And when you've got some guns to sell or trade in and trade up, azfirearms.com are the folks to see. Geez, they bought a cannon once. They are family owned and operated, friendly staff, courteous, totally reliable. azfirearms.com will give you the best value for your used guns. So stop in, see my friends Dan and Cheryl Todd at azfirearms.com in Old Town Avondale off the I-10 and Dysart Road and tell them Joey Rocket Shoes Dylan sent you. Don Collier here, letting you know that you won't get fool's gold at Potty Gold Auction. They're the genuine article. Potty Gold Auctions off guns, coins, jewelry, and antiques of every kind. Stop in and see my friends Dan and Cheryl Todd in Avondale, Arizona for some live auction action. Or check them out on the web at pottygoldestate.com. Welcome back to Gun for Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. Well, this show is also a proud member of the Self-Defense Radio Network. Find out more and check out all of the great content at selfdefenseradio.net. Well, we have uh, a guest on for the bulk of this hour, uh, Dr. William April. He is the owner of April Risk Consulting, and he is a licensed mental health professional with over 15 years' experience uh, working with uh, mental health issues. And that is such a hot topic right now as it pertains to... uh, gun laws and how do we keep people safer and you know who are we trying to maybe prevent from owning guns you know that's that's a tough thing because the second amendment says shall not be infringed period end of sentence there's no extra uh, information there but we also know that if someone is mentally unstable that that is probably not the best candidate to let walk into a gun store and be passed on a 4473 check. But then what do we include as the reasons why not? These are all very complicated issues. And uh, when we have people in, in the know and in the conversation like Dr. William April, it might help us uh, to make better decisions in the future. He recently gave a talk on violent acts and violent actors, and he's uh, kind of breaking down some of those things with us here on the air and uh dr april are you still with us i am very good well when we went to commercial i wanted to spend just a a couple more minutes on on the topic that we were digging into and that is that victim selections you have a person that is intending to do violence to another he's looking for his prey and you're saying that uh it there's a very methodical um, list of qualifications, sort of, that he's looking for, for his victims. And you're saying that he's also looking for some disqualifying factors. So saying, if this person 
fill in the blank, and that's what I want you to do is fill in that blank, then they are not going to be my victim. So what are those things that would help us to not be a person's victim? Well, the, the one word that you use is, is one I would take issue with. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say methodical okay. because that implies sort of a checklist. Okay. Uh, that there's, there are certain things that, that are sought out and especially sequentially sought out. The judgment about who's a good victim is, is surprisingly impressionistic. Okay. Um, and, and we make those sort of judgments as, you know, sort of uh, normal folks, you know, not violent criminal actors pretty regularly. Uh, when you walk up to a strange dog and you're trying to decide, do I pet this dog or not? Mm-hmm. You're making, you're forming an impression about whether the risk of bite sure. is high or low. Sure, that makes uh, And it isn't sense. a checklist that you do that. It's just your sense of that dog, especially compared to all the previous dogs you've encountered in the past. We're profiling um, is what we're doing, right? I, you know, I wouldn't argue with that word. Um, you know, and so bad guys are doing the same thing. Uh, they're looking at uh, you uh, as a potential victim, as, a, as somebody who's being targeted, in comparison to everyone else that they've seen before. Uh, and it's it's almost like, uh, you know, you know, does this dog bite? Well, you can just walk up, put your hand on it and find out. But that's not the smartest way to determine it. Instead, you compare that dog to the mass of previous data. And bad guys are doing the same thing. Uh, but disqualifying factors then, um, they're surprisingly not very dramatic. Uh, they're, they're not uh, sparkly. They're not uh, <laughs> things that would catch your attention. But um, uprightness of gaze is one. Does the person walk down the street with their head up, mm-hmm. looking around? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's surprisingly powerful. Not glued uh, to the cell phone. Of, uh, I'm sorry. I'm still. still. Um, but in the age of cell phones, that's uh, that's surprisingly hard to find now. More and more people walk head down, uh, engrossed in their phones, uh, mm-hmm. and whether they mean to or not, they are giving off the clue that they are good victims. Mm. Um, walking like you know where you're going, uh, a sense of purpose. That's uh, uh, a very powerful predictor. It's very easy to tell uh, when someone's lost. Their body movement changes. Uh, I often t- say you can tell tourists from a mile away. <laughs> Because of how they move. Mm-hmm. They move through space in a very uncertain way. They don't know where they're going. Uh, and it shows. And those are the kind of things that are um, go cues. Mm-hmm. You know, when we're thinking about a bad guy making a, a go or no-go decision, things that cue him to go are things like awareness of your environment, looking like you know where you're going. Mm-hmm. Uh, it leaks out. It leaks out into the environment and forms their decisions very powerfully. Absolutely. That, and there's, like you said at the beginning, there's such small things. We don't have to walk around with a flamethrower strapped to our back, right? We just have to make some very small incremental changes maybe to our behavior or, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Some of the, and some of them are surprisingly easy to implement. What I often say is we all get lost. Mm-hmm. We're all walking through space and we don't really know where we're going. I see first timers in airports all the time. <laughs> uh, but you can mitigate that risk by breaking your movement down into stages. Mm-hmm. If I don't know where I'm going, well, I know what's a block away. I, if I see the bank a block away, walk to the bank, mm-hmm. then figure out where to go. Mm-hmm. Right? If you walk with a purpose to an actual destination, then stop and figure out where to go next. Mm-hmm. You 
stop sending the message, I don't know where I'm going, I don't know what's going on, which actually does draw attention to you, attention from the worst kind of people. Absolutely. Well, I want to move on. We could talk about those kinds of things for a very long time, and I think that we do need to spend more time individually thinking about them and and examining our our own behaviors and uh, do we give the bad guys the impression that we are vulnerable, isolated, um, you know, all those kinds of things that might invite them to want to move closer to us. Um, but we were, you know, kind of talking off air about what, what things should we bring because our time is so limited. And one of the right. things was the development, and that's an interesting word, the development of violent criminal offenders. And so you, you didn't say violent criminal behaviors, you said violent criminal offenders. So that's interesting that you personalized it in that way. Yeah. Well, you've got to think about, um, you know, it, it, it's the understanding of, of violent criminal actors or violent criminal offenders uh, very quickly for most of us tends to fall into kind of value judgments about uh, character, this thing we call character. Um, but it's not terribly helpful, I think. Uh, if you instead think about three classes of offenders, and I think of them as sort of born, made, and somewhere in between, uh, there is a subset of, of the, the human race, uh, somewhere between 1% and 4%, who um, are disposed to be violent against other people regularly and without remorse, uh, virtually from birth. Hmm. Uh, that given no other necessary conditions, uh, and we would think of these people as psychopaths. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's, you know, a psychopath, as I often say, comes from that way from the manufacturer. Uh, <laughs> if you don't like it, take it up with the manufacturer. Um, at the other end of the spectrum, there are folks that, that we might think of as having antisocial personality disorder. Mm. Uh, and like all personality disorders, it takes the world uh, to do it. Mm. Um it's a combination of your sort of personal endowment, what the things you inherited, uh, which are not your fault, certainly, uh, and your environment, your upbringing. Um, now, those people may turn out to have almost the same behavior where the rubber meets the road or, or more specifically where the tire iron meets the skull, but mm. they got there by two very different routes. Um, just about anyone can be made uh, by their environment, if it's powerful enough, into uh, a, a violent criminal offender, but some people have the genes for it right off the bat and don't need any help right. from the environment. So it's a body chemistry, um, and so kind of thinking thing. in, about origins is much more important, I, I think, than thinking about someone as bad or good based on their character. Okay, uh, because that implies that they had a choice. Mm. Uh, criminal behavior is certainly a choice, but the field of choices is constructed by one's upbringing, by one's genetics, by one's environment. Mm-hmm. That is so important. And, you know, I mean, but but what do we do about it? One of the things that comes to my mind often is that we have all of these loud voices that are just shouting down at, like, what, the NRA, right? Or they're shouting down at, well, guns are bad, those kinds of things. And there's a tremendous amount of energy and money uh, put towards these things. And I thought, if mm-hmm. those, if that energy and that money were put towards things that truly do improve um, neighborhoods, communities, um, you know, maybe some youth programs, these kinds of things, then maybe we wouldn't be 
making so many, making more isolated, angry, antisocial um, youngsters that are growing up to be adults. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, it, those, those are big problems and they would require big solutions. Um, and public debate, sadly enough, doesn't really have time for either big problems or big solutions. And so people tend to propose sort of silly, um, narrow interventions uh, that don't really address the big picture, but they make us feel better. Mm. Um, you know, g- getting rid of an object uh, as if that would get away, you know, would somehow d- get away from the will that, that used the object that put it into play. Um, so the solutions always seem uh, uh, very compelling when, they, when they're sweeping, uh, when they're dramatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we should be looking at outcomes, not, not at feelings about uh, things that we've done. Uh, it, you know, it, it, it's always going to be harder to do hard things. Um, but it, it, what I think would really help is if we could increase the public's capacity to talk about complicated issues in complicated ways. Mm. Uh, and I don't know that soundbite culture is ever really going to get us there. Wow. How, how impactful is that one sentence that you just said, the soundbite culture? I think that's where we are stuck now with the age of memes and Twitter. And, uh, you know, everybody just wants to have that mic drop moment. And uh, I think that's why the emotional arguments are more easily conveyed and more widely disseminated because those of us that are truly looking for answers, it takes a while, you know, to, to break it down, to explain it, to figure out, you know, the effective ways to interact with our, our landscape and our world. And it, it's tough. But we are going to run to one more commercial, and if we can have you hang in there, Dr. William April, uh, he's talking with us today about violent acts and violent actors. He's the owner of April Risk Consulting, so stick around. going to finish this up. And we're back with Cheryl Todd talking about the huge gun buying event at azfirearms.com. Oh, AZ, I get it, as in Arizona. Yes, but... Oh, or AZ, as in everything from A to Z. Well, yes, that too. But what I'm telling everybody about is that azfirearms.com is having a huge gun buying event to buy your old firearms all across Arizona and everything from A to Z. That's great news. See, my grandpa left me an old shotgun and it's just sitting on a closet shelf at home. So I can bring that into azfirearms.com and sell my gun. Absolutely. AZFirearms.com buys, sells, trades, and even consigns your old firearms. Any vintage, any style, military, long guns, handguns, hunting, or home protection. Single items or entire collections. We offer the highest value for your used firearms in a safe and friendly environment, staffed by knowledgeable people. AZFirearms.com is in Old Town Avondale off I-10 and Dysart Road. Come on down to the huge gun buying event every day through the end of the month at the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. And for all your firearm and ammo needs, visit AZFirearms.com. Come listen to the Self-Defense Gun Stories podcast. Hear about armed civilians protecting people they love. Were they lucky or were they prepared? Come listen and learn at selfdefensegunstories.com. For straight shooting, look to the biggest little gun shop in the West, azfirearms.com, where they have everything you need to be a safe and responsible gun owner. Huge selection and a friendly and knowledgeable staff. They're my nationwide hometown gun shop, and you should make it yours, too. 
And when you go, tell them old Don Collier sent you. Thanks for sticking around. You are with Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. And if you've missed any portion of this show, please go to our website, gunfreedomradio.com. Click the On Demand tab and you can binge listen to your heart's content, all 124 other episodes that we have posted there. And if you want to put a face with a voice, click the Guest tab and you will find a guest page for every single guest we've ever had on, pictures of them and links to their works and bios on them. It's a great resource and we do not hate it when you spend some time there. Three years. Three years. This is our third anniversary show. It's a true story. And we are excited to wrap up our conversation with Dr. William April. He's the owner of April Risk Consulting. He's a licensed mental health professional. And he is talking with us about violent acts and violent actors. And Dr. April, I, I want to talk uh, in this segment, just as we're wrapping up for the next few minutes, about um common errors made by the good guys right with the, those of us that are trying to navigate our our landscape well uh with uh so errors made by us uh maybe made by the tools we use and maybe also made by mental health um discussion professionals any of those things so dr william april thank you for sticking around and welcome back to the show Oh, no, thank you for having me. Congratulations on your third anniversary, though. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's a fun. It's been very, I have learned so much. I, there should be a degree that comes along with this because I get to talk to people that have these amazing areas of expertise like yourself. And, you know, yes, it's fun and entertaining to listen, but we are truly learning from you. Um, and so thank you so much for being a part of that. So talk well, to us. I appreciate us. it. Absolutely. So but talk. When I, when, go ahead. When I think about common errors, I might as well start on, on, on sort of uh, my side of the aisle. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first common error, I think, is that, that people in mental health um, commit is the thought that we are any good at predicting future violence. Oh. Uh, we're not. <laughs> uh, we, yes. we get asked all the time to render opinions about uh, someone's future behavior, but that's a whole lot more art than science. Mm. Um, and so, you know, folks on my side of the aisle need to, need to come clean about that. Um, we're not particularly good at that um, and, you know, trying to get better all the time. But that's something that we've got to be honest about. Mm-hmm. But for folks that are interested in protection of self and others, uh, the number one error that I see is what we call projection, mm. which is thinking that your internal values apply to other people. Oh, wow. Uh, if you're a nice, decent, hardworking, God-fearing person, it's easy to think the next person you'll encounter walking down the street reflects all of those values right back at you. They're nice, decent, you know, hardworking, God-fearing folks, too. And that's not the case at all. Uh, and this is really important because people who would never hurt a fly think that that's generalized, mm. think that no one else would hurt a fly. Mm-hmm. Well, there are plenty of people out there who hurt a fly, and they'll do it for fun. Mm. Um, and so the, we've got to think about it, uh, and, you know, I tend to think in visual analogies, and I think of it this way. 
your values, right, what you will and won't do, what you think is right and what you think is wrong, those are not headlights shining forward and illuminating the world. Those are the dome light of your car. They illuminate only you. Oh, wow. Um, That's a so great it's analogy. important that when we encounter others in the world, especially unknown others, that we don't think that our values apply generally like something like, say, gravity. Um, but instead, we're encountering people whose internal structures are completely different from ours and completely depend on their own experiences. Um, and so we should judge them uh, based on a potential for risk rather than um, presume that they would never do something that we would never do. Hmm. So projection. Absolutely. And so that is so interesting. And so do you, would you say then that the bad guys that are out there looking for prey, are they projecting as well? I mean, some are really looking for victims, but others might be reacting to this perceived, like sometimes I feel like that's road rage, right? Like one guy thinks, well, I'm feeling angry today. And so when that guy cut in front of me, it's because he's angry and he's trying to do something to impact my life, something like that. Oh, it's a, it, it's a very interesting point that you brought up, and, and it actually cuts both ways. Uh, one is that violent criminal offenders absolutely project their values onto the world. They think that other people are violent. They think that other people are dangerous. They think that other people will hurt them if they get a chance. Now, those are their own values applied to the world, um, but they really do believe them. It's not a pose. Uh, but the other is they are used to being the aggressor, not the person aggressed against. Hmm. Uh, and so they are truly shocked. <laughs> I mean, you, you cannot overestimate the quality of the shock when people are non-compliant, when people do defend themselves, especially with effective use of force. They are truly shocked um, because they're used to doing what they want and having other people forced to put up with it. That is, um, I don't think so you can th overstate that. There are two that. kinds of projection that they fall prey to just like us. Absolutely. I don't think you can overstate that. And I think that, um, you know, we hear these stories and, and thank God I've never had to live through this. But it seems like, you know, somebody goes into, say, the Pulse nightclub and there's like hundreds of people and one bad guy. Like, why aren't they rushing this person? Like, why aren't they stopping this person and disrupting his paradigm um, and stopping the threat? Uh, and so if we can start thinking more in that way, like the guys on the train in Paris, I just recently interviewed um, one of those three American heroes that there is a, a terrorist on a train in Paris. And uh, the three of them just took immediate action to disrupt what this man's plans were and right. saved the entire train um, uh, in doing so. And so I love that you're saying that, that that, that disruption it might endanger the three guys that were rushing him. They might have been injured, and a couple of them were not fatally. But, uh, but then in the the grander scope, it's it's preventing more damage and more injury. Well, especially in the face of a of, of a of a planned mass killing event, you know, put, conducted by terrorists, you're not at any greater risk than you are the second he shows up. Uh, he didn't show up to shake your hand. Uh, right. He showed up to shoot everyone on that train, or as many as he could. Uh, so the question is, will that be opposed or unopposed? Mm. Um, and that at least in opposition, there's some chance of victory. Uh, lying in, and waiting and hoping that you're the person that doesn't get shot is not much of a strategy. Absolutely. So what do we, 
do again and i i love that you said that the mental health professionals uh and my degree is in uh psychology we're not the great karnak we we don't have the crystal ball we're not amazing at, at predicting who is going to be violent and how they might be violent but every time one of these things happen and it looks like there's a mental health issue, a component to it, like just recently there was an event in Florida again, like what is going on in Florida, um, that a young man at a, a video game convention or something acted out, uh, killed some people using a firearm, and it turns out he's got some mental health issues, maybe history. Um, how do we, without infringing on so many people's rights try to keep these people who are off kilter they have that chemistry imbalance in their body that they were born with or or whatever maybe they were made out in an environment that encouraged unfortunately antisocial behaviors what worries me is that when we say it's a mental health issue and we have to prevent people who have mental health issues from having guns. Well, what if, what if we've had, what if I've taken an antidepressant at some point in my life or an anti-anxiety well, medication at some yeah, point? A very subtle point. And like I said, those are, those are often lost in debate. Um, you know, the vast majority of folks with mental health diagnoses offer no risk of violence to anyone else. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a simple fact. Mm -hmm. Um, and so what we've got, to we've got to resist is the temptation to say, aha, it's all mental health, mm -hmm. uh, because that's simply not true. Uh, the, you know, again, the, the vast majority of folks uh, who carry um, any mental health diagnosis are not a risk to anyone else. And gun folks tend to sound as ridiculous talking about mental health <laughs> as anti-gun yes. folks sound talking about guns. Yes. Uh, we tend to propose, you know, propose kind of sweeping... Uh, you know, solutions, unquote, that, that really aren't solutions at all. Mm -hmm. um, because the, the, the folks that we're worried about are folks with frank mental illness, right? Mm -hmm. When you think about uh, Jared Loeffner, uh, a man who shot uh, the Congresswoman Gabby Giffords, mm -hmm. uh, he's a florid schizophrenic, mm -hmm. right? Frankly mentally ill. Everyone who encountered him knew what was going on. Mm -hmm. uh, now, the fact that someone like that, someone so floridly mentally ill, uh, James Holmes, the, the Colorado theater shooter, mm -hmm. floridly mentally ill. Now, the fact that someone like that is able to get their hands legally uh, on firearms is unacceptable to everyone. Mm -hmm. But to say that anyone with any history of, of mental health issues uh, should be a disqualified person is absurd. Um, because you'd be including lots of people that, that aren't a threat to anyone else, and, and they have a right to defend themselves, too. Absolutely. Uh, just because they, they've been diagnosed with um, uh, depression, let's say. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean they, they are a risk to anyone else, and it doesn't mean the risk to them disappear. Mm -hmm. So we've got to think about a spectrum of people, and we've got to think about them very, very discreetly. Uh, and none of those things survive the shouting culture uh, right. that, that we've devolved to. Right. Oh, gosh. It really is, I think, maybe a puzzle that I don't know that we'll ever fully work it. We might get a little bit of the border pieces snapped together, but I, I just think that, you know, we're in a, a broken world and we're broken people and broken people live amongst us. And so for me, I'm like, so don't take my ability to protect myself and my family away because I could encounter one of these broken people. I, I guess that's kind of where I yeah. land. You know, it, it, it does, you know, there's, there's one sort of dividing line that, that, that does have some validity, and that's involuntary commitment. 
someone who's been ill enough that they were confined to a psychiatric hospital against their will, uh, I think everyone would agree that's someone who's disordered enough that we need to take a long, hard look at their ability to access firearms. Um, but short of that, um, we're having a whole different discussion. Absolutely. Well, we've got to start wrapping up, but thank you so much for being here with us today. And I've got to have you back on because there's so many different elements and angles uh, to this whole discussion. Um, And like I said, we're still working the puzzle. So there's still so much more to discuss. But as we just go away, Dr. William April, will you tell folks how they can get in touch with you, how they can follow the work that you do, maybe hear one of your full lectures, because we've given them just the tiniest sample platter here today. Yeah, well, at the website, April Risk Consulting, A-P-R-I-L-L, riskconsulting.com is a good place to follow uh, where I'll be teaching. But also a good way to get started is that April Risk Consulting on Instagram. I try to post five to seven Uh, meaningful nuggets a week that will hopefully help people get their feet in the water of thinking about violent criminal actors in a little different way. Fantastic. Thank you again so much, Dr. William April. Bye-bye now. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. So much to learn there. Uh, And stick around because we still have our entire second hour coming up with some awesome guests. We have up first, Mark Keith Robinson. You'll know him from his I am the majority speech. Stick around. When you're working hard to beat debt, you've got to think of creative ways to get your income up. Here's an idea. Sell some stuff at auction. Start with locally owned and operated potofgoldestate.com. The owners, Dan and Cheryl Todd, have over 60 years of combined experience in selling antiques, collectibles, guns, coins, and jewelry. And over their many years in business, they've earned the trust of thousands of people just like you. Whether you're saving for a rainy day emergency fund or paying down debt, let potofgoldestate.com help you get the extra cash you need. Potofgoldestate.com will purchase your items outright, or you can consign them to their twice-a-month online auction. Pot of Gold's nationwide online auction is a great place to get top dollar for your collectibles. They specialize in everything from antiques, coins, high-end collectibles, to cars, boats, guns, and more. Get started today at potofgoldestate.com, or visit them off I-10 and Dysart Road in Historic Avondale for some live auction action. For more information, visit potofgoldestate.com. That's potofgoldestate.com. Hey ladies, Cheryl Todd here from azfirearms.com. Many of us ladies are taking the important step of becoming responsibly armed, but it can be an intimidating process. And with all the politics swirling, a first-time gun buyer, whether a guy or a lady, might feel uncertain about where to begin and who to trust. At azfirearms.com, we are a small, friendly, family-owned shop that specializes in first-time gun buyers. We are staffed with knowledgeable people who are ready to help answer all of your questions. My husband husband Dan and I pride ourselves on having a safe, no-pressure environment. Once you have decided on a purchase, azfirearms.com partners with professional firearms instructors who will train you to become a responsible, safe, prepared, and proficient gun owner. So ladies and gents, when you are looking for personalized service and a huge selection, come to azfirearms.com in Old Town Avondale off the I-10 and Dysart Road or visit us on the web at azfirearms.com. 